Welcome, everybody, to episode two of Danger and Monsters' new music podcast, Breakdowns for Breakfast. This show is basically my, me and, and Danger gushing, arguing, uh, what have you, about different rock and metal albums that either we love or we hate or we just want to share with the rest of the world. And we had a lot of fun on our first episode discussing Finch's uh, masterpiece say hello to sunshine Um, yes i i would classify it as masterpiece as well yes maybe not most of our listeners but we do um hopefully they go back and listen to the album again after listening to our episode if anything i would like this show to do exactly that people that either passed on an album or passed on a band give them a second chance because of what we say or at the very least reevaluate something that they hold near and dear or have thrown to the wayside. And I hope that we actually bring some stuff to the table that people have never heard of before. Like today's album. I had never heard of it before you, you brought it up to me. And, and so, I have a feeling a lot of the average, you know, even if you are a fan of rock and metal and new metal and, and whatever, I think this one flew under the radar for most people. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. So not to bury the lead today, we're going to discuss, Pulse Ultra's one and only album, Headspace, that came out uh, July 16th, 2002. Now, you said you'd never heard of this band before, correct? I had not. So, when 2002, I would have been in high school, and that was when I was dead center in my new metal research phase. Mm -hmm. Uh, I used to love reading Circus Magazine, Hit Parader, um, this is also when I started taking guitar a little more seriously. So I looked at a lot of Guitar World and, and other guitar magazines. And and I knew all about Limp Biscuit and Korn. And Who didn't? Like, you're right. They were the top tier new metal bands. But what I wanted to find was the B level, the C level, you know, and some of my favorite bands still are in that, like Il Nino and Head PE and, and that kind of stuff. You didn't go to the D level. <laughs> you just. <laughs> You left it at the sea level. I get it. I no, wouldn't either. I, you know. No, let's be honest here. This record might fall below the C tier category a little bit. I'm going <laughs> to say it. it's like a, I, I would put this at like a C minus personally. Okay. So maybe so a D plus. I honestly don't remember what happened first. I remember hearing a song off this record called Big Brother and, and liking it. But I also remember especially in the guitar magazines at the time, Dominic Cifarelli, who's the guitar player for Pulse Ultra, got brought up a lot. Because especially in this genre, he was doing some weird stuff. Yes. Um, Do you know what he was in before Pulse Ultra? He was doing a band with one of the guys from System of a Down, correct? I believe so. I didn't. I didn't check out the other names in it. I just saw his name, and I saw that uh, none of the other members came over to this band. Although some of the members of this band played on the albums from the other one from the other band. It's called Chronicles of Israel. I S R A F E L. Is I don't know. Yeah, anyway. I don't know any. Yeah. I don't know anything about that one. I checked out a little bit. They're kind of like um, a, um, if you could mix like an epic metal prog thing, uh, heavy on the prog, heavy on. 
Yeah, actually, Dragon Force is not a bad comparison. I wouldn't say they're just like Dragon Force by any oh, means, oh. but they are. They would definitely fit on tour together. Because I know that he was also in a band. I want to. God, I don't know. Shadows of Broadway or something like that with Darren, not Serge, from uh, System of a Down. Because I know that one of the only big, quote unquote, big things that Paul Solcher ever got to do was they toured with System of a Down. If Serge was involved in it, you would definitely know because his voice is unmistakable. Yeah, but I don't think it's him. I think it's Darren. I think it's the guitar player. Okay. Um, But they also did uh, a stint on OzFest around this time, 2002, 2003, something like that. Makes sense. Uh, OzFest was just picking up people left and right. Exactly. Exactly. And they slotted in nicely. I'm sure they played when the sun was still out and it was 90 to thousand degrees outside and you had kids in solid black jinko pants dropping left and right yes uh so okay side note 2005 me and my brother went to Ozfest. it was the only time i ever went but it was the free fest that they did so all you had to do was print off a ticket and you got in line and you came in the door well we got there super early but we still had to wait in line for a long time. Yeah, it we being free, in. yeah. Yes. So we finally get in, and I, I'm pretty sure they were the first band was in this moment. And I remember loving it, just having a great time. I actually got to meet the band and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and shortly thereafter, I passed out and was underneath a tree. Mm-hmm. Um Luckily, yep. my brother got me some water. We we pulled ourselves together and we stayed the whole day. But it started off rough. We'll we'll do a down the road a bit. We'll do a music festival uh, episode oh, yeah. where we talk about some of our horror stories from from some of those uh, music festivals and all that, that. That might be a fun one. So so back to this record. So the thing is, we talked about this before. My favorite band in the whole wide world is Three Eleven. Yes, and Three Eleven is what I like to call a hybrid band. The older I get, the more they are really good on fuel mileage (laughs) and they are kind of hippie. So that does, that checks out, but they, I'm a huge fan of bands that mesh different genres. And, you know, so for, for three eleven, for example, I grew up listening to my brother's metal records uh, and their rap records. My dad was listening to the Beatles and Frank Zappa and my mom was listening to singer songwriter stuff like Jackson Brown. And when I heard the first couple, the first songs I ever heard by 311 was like, it's kind of all of that. There's, there's bounce and there's metal, but there's some jazzy parts and all this stuff. And so, so as I got older and I found new bands and listened to new stuff, I've always been a fan of that blending of, of styles and genres. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Pulse Ultra is doing here. I yes, now, I'll, I'll get on board with that. Now, how well does it all mesh together? Sort of depends on you know your personal taste. But to anybody that's never heard this record before, it's almost a mix of like tool riffs mm-hmm. with whiny emo vocals, all put into this weird proggy kind of tone and and rhythm it's it's really strange very seldom does the songs just just get into like this really just four on the floor nod your head groove if they do it's only for a couple seconds and then they're on to the next thing so i'll give 
off of that, an, uh, a quick analysis of this as far as mixing genres. And like you, I grew up with different genres of music being played in the house all the time. Brother was into hip hop and R and B, especially that '90s R and B, the good stuff. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, I, in my my 30s, I came to really appreciate the early '90s R and B. Anyway, and then Dad listened to uh, Humble Pie and Ten Years and um, like the Beatles, and it, you know, so I had a lot of the blues rock stuff coming from him, and then I had the disco type stuff, not like ABBA disco, but you know. Uh, the the dancier stuff. So I had influences coming from all over the place, along with my just bringing in other stuff. But according a lot this album, okay. So they do the Tool thing. Their Tool is an unmistakable influence on this album. But I don't want to say on the album itself because it's on certain songs and parts of songs. You know there are. There are songs where they come in with like the 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 tool, you know, sounding guitar. I can't remember what song it is uh, that uh, so jumped out to me about that. Number but, six is called Slip and Sin. And it starts with a very like yes, strong. actually that was what I that was yeah. what I put tool inspired uh, intro, and then I noticed at the end of the song it had a a very tool tone to the guitar, and it kind of ended on that. Now that track uh, slip and sin, you know, was a heavy and melodic track, but. I don't think that they blended what I felt like was actually heavily inspired by Bush and Creed from okay. 1995 and Tool so, from 1998 or whatever. So what's really interesting is I've listened to this record. I mean, it came out in 2002 and I guarantee that's about the time that I got. It. And I honestly, I, I'm reading some other reviews on this. I, I never thought like Creed and Bush and like nineties grunge. Like I didn't hear that on this record. I hear the tool, which is sort of adjacent to that. It was kind of happening at the same time. But honestly, what I hear more of is like the early stuff by like Thursday and taking back Sunday and even like early fallout boy. I don't, I don't pick up on that at all. Well, put it this way. I hear more of that influence than I do of Bush and Creed. Like okay. to me, this sounds more like um like they were fans of Tool but didn't want to make 19 minute long songs, but they still wanted to be weird. But I think honestly what hurts this record is and we'll get into a couple of the songs here. I think they would have been more successful had they gone further into the catchy memorable side or the other way and got weirder and proggier i think when they try to tiptoe the line it it's cool but it doesn't stick with you it doesn't stay with you like a lot of bands that do more of one or the other there was nothing that really jumped out to me about this album there was a few times that there was a, a a little guitar part or a vocal part, you know, I can't remember what song it is, but it's like 
all you know instrumentation drops out and he sings solo there for a second and it's like oh well that was a neat thing but overall nothing really jumped out to me about this so i feel like the singer listened to a lot of uh like creed and bush and tried to kind of imitate that the more on the bush side than than the creed side i feel like the bassist and drummer listened to a lot more or i'm gonna say percussionist because i did see uh, looking into it some more i saw that he played a lot more than just drums on this one if you listen carefully you can hear some cool like percussion instruments i don't i don't know exactly i don't want to sound like a dunce and not say the right thing but i hear a lot of like bongos and congos and other kind of percussion yeah, right which i think is dominic how'd you pronounce his last name cifarelli i think it's cifarelli yeah okay so i think that that's dominic cifarelli kind of like going hey guys let's do some other things i feel like he listened to a lot of tool and prog rock stuff but then the bassist and and percussionist listened to a lot of just kind of the the I want to say the new metal type stuff, and that's where you get a lot of the new metal sound. And so I kind of feel like it's all of these different influences from all these different members coming together. And then I feel like Dominic Cifarelli, who was, as far as I could find, the more successful of those in the band, he kind of came in and you know, I don't know if he started this band at all. I didn't really look into too much of the history of him, but I feel like he kind of was like, Hey guys, I have more experience than the rest of you follow my lead. And so I kind of yeah, feel he, like it was these influences of things being led by Dominic's prog rock influences. I, and I agree. I think this is Cifarelli's band. I think that, and, and, you know, going back to it, maybe, you know, I try to keep in mind that I am a guitar player, but to me, that's what stands out the most on this record is the guitar choices. There are parts where it does, you know, kind of get into just a real simple new metal kind of riff, yeah. but there's all kinds of weird chords and key changes and tempo changes that I think is just, you know, his, his guitar playing. And like I said, I remember seeing this band mentioned a lot in like guitar world and stuff because of what he was doing. And again, whether you think this album's great or not, this was 2002. Right. And when we get to the end, I've got a couple of thoughts on why this was not successful. But if, if you're interested in kind of hearing what we're talking about, I think for me, some of the best tracks, Big Brother. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but I know that you're a fan of this band. Do you know who did some guest vocals on Big Brother? No. Steven Richards from Taproot. Really? Actually, that makes Matt, sense because I did feel some Taproot vocals uh, influences, yes. at least, on on this, on parts of the album. And Big Brother, you know, being there at the beginning of the, the album makes a lot of sense because it jumped out more to me there. He, so that was the single, and I think he's just doing backing vocals, but I heard a lot of Taproot on this album uh, uh, as well. I don't remember the exact connection, but Taproot helped them get signed. Well, um, I feel like Taproot was in the B-level that you mentioned, and yeah. they were in the B-level of that late 90s, early 2000s music scene. 
I remember when Gift came out, very similar to this. Mm -hmm. It was a mix of different genres. It was very clearly new metal, but they had some proggy stuff. They had some other things going on. But this kind of goes in a whole nother direction, you know, um, away from that. And and I know that you said you weren't really hearing the like emo punk kind of vibe of it, but I yeah, think really on pick song. Up much. So Big Brother is track four. Track five is called Never the Culprit. And this is one of my favorites. And to me, as soon as it starts, it has this, you know, more upbeat rhythm to it. And that one to me sounds like you could almost slot it somewhere on a Thursday record. So I do remember this song, Never the Culprit. Listened to this album quite a few times over the last week. And Never the Culprit really jumps out because of the words, the lyrics to it really jump out to me because it really just kind of struck me as a a song where he was really trying to kind of put out a different kind of message to the rest of the album that, again, didn't really jump out to me. But this album, this this song did. And I really feel like this song was maybe the highlight of the album. And where he's, you know, his words are about what I felt like was about how people try to victimize themselves and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the the bass, guitar, drums just kind of created a great backdrop for for his words. But the highlight of the album still, to me, is a mediocre song. So I, I was going to bring this up later, but since you went ahead and brought up the lyrics, let me... um. I'll go ahead and give you one of the reasons why I don't think this album was very successful. It came out in the summer of 2002. Right. July. So, yeah. Yes. We all kind of know what happened in the fall of 2001. Yes. And these guys are from Canada. Okay. The hook of the first song has a line that says, don't you see the skyscrapers? They're too big to come down. I did I did um, notice that and I didn't make the mm -hmm. connection that you're making. So, I've I've done a little research into this and they say that the lyrics and most of the music was written before any of that happened and, and I believe it. This this stuff takes years and if it's your first record, those are usually songs you've been working on for 4, 5, 6 years. So, entirely possible. But if you want to make the connection between 9/11 and the lyrics in this record, it's not a far jump. It no, it's not. pretty easy to do. It's um, about as far jump from Canada to the U.S. Pretty much. And Never the Culprit sort of one interpretation that I saw was them basically saying like how how Americans felt after that happened. Like we are justified yeah. in doing whatever we want to do because we're never the bad guy. We're always the good guy. So I think that at this Again, they, these all these songs could be about anything, but because of when it was released, I think it just it felt icky to a lot of people. Yeah. Um. And and so, which is why I think it's like even if you did listen to this record in two thousand two and kind of wrote it off, like like we said, C tier new metal. Going back now and hearing it far enough removed from that, I think that helps lyrically. But the problem then is musically, we've already heard bands that have kind of done what they're doing, mm -hmm. but smoother and cleaner. Yes. 
But the reason I wanted to talk about this record is because this is one of those bands that I think, you know, I hesitate to say that they were influencing the bands that have done it better because they're very not well known. But I think that it just goes to show you that these guys were having a lot of the same ideas and they just, I don't know, there's just too many factors that just kind of clicked against them to, to break out. No, and I'm I'm with you. Again, I did not make the connection with uh, 9-11. And I can see exactly why this didn't work. Now, yeah. something I liked about it was that the lyrics for it, the part that really stood out to me, and I have this somewhere in my notes uh, for this album, the lyrics were not the whiny new metal mm. words that we had been hearing for so long, especially dropped right in the middle of this which might be another reason why this band didn't really take off because at the time the thing that was 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 great to listen to was uh songs about anger and being the victim basically you know that was what people wanted to hear not songs about you're not the victim quit making yourself the victim do better and and again i think that's that kind of falls back onto what i said before about it's just not enough in one direction. Like right. it either needed to be a political record like System of a Down and super weird avant-garde musically. Which is why or, Rage Against the Machine always did well because they were super political and they still carried that same rap rock new metal sound forever. But they, I feel like uh, Rage Against the Machine always did new metal better. But that's just me. They weren't really yeah, new and, metal, and, but you know. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. I wouldn't classify them as new metal, but but they definitely laid the foundation for oh, yeah. bands that would come after them. Oh, yeah. Um, bands wouldn't have done what they did if Bridge Against Machine didn't exist. Right. Exactly. And, and I even hesitate to call Pulse Ultra new metal. It's almost more like alternative prog metal. Like it has elements of new based on when it came out, the bands they were playing with at the time and, and a lot of the choices that they do make on the record, but it's really, it's kind of its own thing in a lot of ways. I would classify this as new prog. I like that. Okay. I like that. New prog. New prog. I, 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 can, I can go with that. Um, but I do think, uh, and, and you'll hear me say this on a lot of albums just because of, I, I mentioned this in the Finch album, uh, review. I like to track list. I, I've always been mm-hmm. the like track list on the album, uh, set list guy for the bands I'm in. And for me, this is a very front loaded record. Yes. I feel I'll like agree. first five, six songs, a matter of fact. So track seven is prelude and it's just a one minute piano ballady kind of thing. And actually, this jumped out to me, but go on. I I do want to hear what you have to say about this. I feel like after that, the album kind of takes a dive. Right. Um, I do like the very last song, Despot. that's one of the better ones it's got a really strong hook to it and i think interlude the other instrumental 
right. <laughs> track 11. Um, I love that. It's just a funky little one-minute jam with some slap bass and cool little guitar riff. I love that. But as as a whole, tracks one through six, I think is way stronger than tracks eight through 14. Okay, so I'll do Prelude first because it does come first on the album. So Prelude, to me, it, it was one of those things that the first two times I listened to the album, it was just on in the background while I was doing stuff. And it kind of happened and I didn't even realize it was happening. But then like, I don't know, the third or fourth time, it was like, wait a second, this is a weird thing. And it actually reminds me of the uh, weird little piano crescendo in Eric Clapton's live Layla. Oh, wow. Yes. And because uh... it, it feels so out of place when you're actually listening to the album and one of the other things that makes it so out of place to me is it does not fit like the beginning or the end of the prelude. The, uh, uh, the first few seconds on either end do not fit into the song before or after. I feel like it was one of the guys, probably uh, Dominic um, Cifarelli was yeah, the guy playing piano. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like maybe he was messing around on piano in the studio and they were like, Hey, that sounds good. We We should probably put that in there. And then that leads me to the uh, interlude, or is it the interlude? I'm, I've got it listed yeah, here. Yeah, inter- interlude okay. is number eleven. Yeah, yeah. Which I feel like uh, the term interlude should be <laughs> further, you know, <laughs> closer to the beginning. Enter at the beginning, so. right? So it, that I feel like was where the bassist and percussionist came in, and like they had been hanging out the day before, and they were like, "Hey." We just found this really cool album by this band called Incubus, Make Yourself. And we went and picked up Fungus Among Us and Science from before it. And that was their little, like the uh, Dominic Cifarelli, who I feel like was in charge of the direction of this album, was like, hey, you know what? You guys are having fun jamming out, listening to this band. We're, uh, we're going to give you um, a little bit of time. You know, a minute and twenty three seconds. I uh, I put it down because it stuck out to me so much. It was just this weird little, like you said, funky little slap bass deal, which I, I, I didn't even no think problem about with. Incubus. There, there's a lot of incubus on this record too. Early incubus, early incubus. Which actually, the uh, the interlude. I actually, um, yes, early incubus, not not later, but uh, interlude. I actually felt like was. Um, heavy incubus with a bit of red hot chili peppers in it. A little bit, yeah, definitely, definitely a, a proggier version of those things. Yeah, yeah. So you know, and, but then to go with what you were talking about, Despot. I felt like Despot was a a standout on the album for sure. I've seen I've seen a lot of people say that's one of the more popular tracks off the record, and I think part of me thinks, hey, move that up higher. And and you you bring in people quicker, but at the same time, I like the fact that, like I said, it's the the back half of the record takes a dip for me, but then it ends on such a strong song. Yeah. So the notes I actually have on that one are just uh, begin simply with uh, some chords and vocals, and that's just really all it starts as, and then it progresses into a verse where the verse gets heavier, and then it picks up with the chorus, and it's just this kind of, I, I would say, a powerhouse of the album, so yes, I'm going to completely agree with you that it should be earlier in the album, but 
I feel like it was a really good closer. I feel like it was a strong closer, a good bookend on it. Whereas I don't feel like the first song is a good opener for it. Now, I, so when you hear that song, Despot, for, for anybody that listen to the song, and then you'll understand why I'm asking this question. The way it starts with the way he sings that line about how can something so beautiful love something so dreadful, you're, you don't hear Thursday, old school thrice, old school, like that, that beginning wave of like emo pop punk at all. Tell you what, I'll go back and listen to it with that in mind. I think maybe I kind of got stuck on the, uh, the tool and, uh, the early nineties kind of influence on things. Yeah. And maybe that's why I was still in mentally when there's listening to more, it. Yeah. There's more of that than the emo yeah. side, but I think it's in there too. I'll go back and I'll listen to the song with, with that thought. Yeah. So I think it's a really strong closer for the album. I definitely agree with you again, that it should be earlier in the album because by the time you get to, what I feel like is probably one of the strongest songs on the album. You've already gone through the entire thing and people aren't listening anymore. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I always get a little bummed out when, when a band that I really like, I'm looking forward to a new record and they release it and it's eight songs, nine songs. And I'm like, oh, yeah. like, I feel like an album should be at least 11 personally. I, I, that 11, 12, 13. I think that's the sweet spot in the I streaming you, in the streaming world right now. Release one, two, or four out songs, but several times a year. Yeah. So a, a a newer band that I really like called Hot Milk. They have been releasing like they are really good. I I do like I I caught them the other day and they're they're good. I'm gonna listen to them more. I remember uh, not to get off on a super long tangent, but I just kind of stumbled upon them a couple years ago and have been keeping up with them and listening to everything they release. And it's so funny to catch a band when they're getting ready to come up because right. I, when I was younger, I used to do that all the time. We talked about that on the Finch episode with little sampler CDs at the record store and stuff. Now it's YouTube algorithms and Spotify and whatever, but hot milk, sleep token, nothing more. Like these are all bands that I sort of saw coming and I was like trying to tell people about it with varying degrees of success. And now they're starting to, get mainstream and it's it's kind of cool hot milk deserves it they're they're really unique we'll talk about them another time right and i am looking forward to our our uh sleep token uh episode that we do because they don't have a bad song but they don't have a completely good song either and i'll get more ooh, ooh, yeah, okay yeah, yeah. Ooh, <laughs> so, okay. we'll come back to that all um, right Go so on. i was gonna say let me just kind of wrap this up on yep. as far as like my my general thoughts here okay. so like I said earlier, I'm a huge fan of hybrid music. I like hearing artists that combine several genres into one cohesive sound. That's what Pulse Ultra is trying to do here. But how cohesive is it really? Um, I hear, I hear emo. I hear prog. I hear a ton of new metal. I hear a lot of tool. And when it clicks, it's pretty cool and it's unique. It, it never gets strong enough and hooky enough and it never gets weird enough to really stand out it's it's a very fledgling record i will say i think i saw that it sold thirty-eight thousand copies and the band broke up shortly thereafter i would have liked to have heard a second record like for example there's a band that i want to talk about on a later episode called from zero their first album was 
extremely in the pocket rap rock new metal very bouncy big hooks i mean it was right on new metal the second record they went way different mm-hmm. and i think a lot of bands tried to get away from the new you know later in the two- 2000s so i'd be really interested to see what pulse ultra did here would they go with more big courses and hookiness or would they try to get weirder and darker and stranger as it is I think the first half of this record's great. I think the second half of the record's pretty dull. So kind of in the middle, I would say one to ten. I give it a six. Okay. So I feel like the band was probably picked up for a lot of opening slots on tours. They feel like they would fit right into that. I'm actually going to amend what I what I wrote here. I actually feel like a second album, a follow-up album, probably would have been a good another step forward where they got a chance to go on the road and kind of tighten up a little bit more, even though you have all the time before the first album comes out to put it together. I It, it may have been interesting. So I do feel like high points on the album were the drumming and the bass lines, or the percussionists. The percussioning? I don't know. Um, I do feel like uh, that. The thoughtful lyrics that steered away from the new metal whining that I mentioned. There it is in my notes. Okay. Um, I do feel like it had a lot of prog rocky moments and the odd time signatures and in the guitars and the prelude and interlude, even though I did, you know, kind of bash the interlude, the prelude a little bit, they were a fun little change up to things. I do feel like the low point was that they did try to smash too many things together. And some of the songs were too long and not exceptional in my opinion. Like just, they weren't, they, they didn't need to be as long as they were. So to sum it all up, this felt like a continuation of the Chronicles of Israfel. I'm going to mispronounce it every time. Uh, The the other band. I did not listen to them beforehand. I knew they existed, but I didn't listen to them. I I need to. They're they're fine. They're not one of the better bands of the epic genre, the epic metal genre. They're fine. I'm not a huge fan of that genre anyway. But yeah, I like like some of that. So I'm, I don't know. I'll give it a shot. It could be fun background music. I'll say that. Yeah. So I felt like a continuation of Chronicles with more of a new metal feel, but it's not the same thing. It this album is worth a listen if you are anywhere near a fan of the early two thousands years of new metal. And if you need to know how to listen to it, I listen to it on Spotify the whole way through. It's on Spotify. It's there. Uh, Take a listen. Um, It seems to have been universally ignored and panned by critics from everything I can see, but a solid new metal album that was more progressive than other entries uh, that we were fed at the time. And at this time in history, in music history, the radio and MTV said everything. They had all the say in what what was pushed. And... If I found this album when I was 13 or 14, I would have been really into it. The album was released July 16, 2002. I would have just turned 18. It probably made it to the dollar bin by the time I was 19. It would have been a pleasant surprise pickup in the discount bin, but I can't say I would have been a bigger fan than that. And to this, I'll give a solid five. So I will I will make one more caveat to, to both of our statements, and I'll, I'll see if you agree with me on this. 2002. Imagine if this came out in 2015. I I still don't think it would do well now. I think that, no, I think that this would have been a better album released in, I would say, 
98 with a follow-up in 2000. Okay. A little bit ahead of the curve. Yeah. And, okay. and it's because it was trying to mix too many things, in my opinion. And that's where it fell, I fell short. I get yeah. And, and coming off of the uh, grunge into the mid-90s, which I feel like was a grab bag of musical genres, you know, and then it would have been, hey, here's something else to kind of cap off the, um, I would say, 97 to 98, the summer of 98, let's put it that way. And then that's right when you have uh, the corn and Limp Biscuits starting to kind of blow up. And this, I feel like, would have probably kind of carried a bit, but only if it had a follow-up album, and they never did. Yeah, and and that's and and we'll talk about some more of these bands um, as the episodes progress because a lot of my favorite bands fall right into this same situation. Anytime in the music industry, if something starts to pop off, labels start to snag everything that's even remotely similar. So when you have a, a band that has, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, that has a little bit of a new metal sound, every big label wants you. Yeah. And so they were si signing up all of these bands, throwing a million dollars at them. Then they sell 38,000 copies and lose all their money. And they, and they end up owing the record label thousands of dollars for years and years and years. They drop um, any support, but carry on that lawsuit. <laughs> exactly. And, and, this happened to Simon Says, this happened to Reveille, this happened to From Zero, and I love these bands, but they just never got a fair shake. Yeah. No, I I, I will agree with you that there are bands within that time period that never got a fair shake, never got a fair chance. And I think a lot of that is because the populist opinion, popular opinion, was so dominated by a polarizing, you know, your rap or rock. If you are something in between, you've got to be this exact thing. And there, there's middle ground on both sides of that that just get missed yeah, and got missed. So, yeah, if, if you know, I think that pretty much sums up how we feel about Headspace by Pulse Ultra. If you've never heard of this band before, but, you know, you like Tool, you like new Metal, you some of the stuff we're saying here is intriguing. I agree with Danger. It's on Spotify. It's real easy to find. There's two or three tracks that I, I continue to listen to from time to time. As a whole, this isn't an album I necessarily revisit all the time, but I, I think there's people listening to this right now that have never heard of this that will enjoy listening to it. If you like a band that tries to be other things, this is the one for you. <laughs> if, I like that. I yeah, like that. and you like an album that has three star strong standout tracks, this one is for you. But is it a good band? Is it a good album? I wouldn't say that I'm going to listen to it again outside of this. I did I did throw that Despot onto my liked playlist yeah. on Spotify. I did do that because it is a good song. Uh, so, so that's Give me an it album of that episode. song. <laughs> that's it for this episode, episode two. Danger, what are we talking about on the next episode? Uh, next week, we are talking about Thornhill's The Dark Pool. Oh. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good morning. Or good evening. <laughs> <laughs>